You ever been at a party, or maybe you're traveling, or you're caught in a conversation with someone that you just have to get out of? Like, so my wife and I have an agreement if we're ever at a party and we get kind of locked into a conversation with someone and we want to get out of the conversation, like the signal is this, where it's just like you just keep like patting yourself on the head until the other person notices. And like we were at a party one time and I kept patting myself on my head and Caitlin was nowhere to be found. And finally she came over like 15 minutes later and I said, where have you been? I've been smacking myself silly over here. No, but I'm seriously, you've been there, right? At a party or at a place where you've been in a conversation and you're just like, I have got to get out of this conversation. Maybe furthermore, you travel a lot and you've been in a place where you were on a plane or maybe you were at a gate at an airport or maybe you were at an airport lounge and you were like, I don't know how I got in this conversation, but it is brutal and I have got to get out of this conversation. Well, I just want you to know something that I have without a shadow of a doubt figured out to the T the best way to get out of conversations that you don't want to be in. In fact, I have figured out the secret sauce for every one of you that if you take this home and you put it into practice in your life on a day-to-day basis in a day-to-day conversation, I guarantee you, you will not end up in one more of these brutal conversations for longer than 90 seconds. This is something that is fail-proof. This will work in any situation that you're in. Party, traveling, train, bus, whatever it is. Are you ready? Here is the answer for how you get out of conversations that you don't want to be in in any situation. Here it is. Tell them you work at a church. And if you think I'm kidding, allow me to digress for just a moment. I travel about every week. I go around and speak and do things. Um, In fact, I've come very accustomed to working on Delta Airlines. That's like my main office where I kind of land. And sure enough, I found that over the course of time, most people, when they travel, ask a question to each other. And I don't know necessarily when this started in the history of humanity or why this started, but people, when they travel, ask this question a lot. Hey, so what do you do? And someone responds. And throughout my history, I used to say to people, hey, this is what I do. I work at a church. I work with kids at a church. That's what I did for so long. And I used to tell people, I'm a kid's pastor at a church. I'm a pastor at a church. And conversation by conversation, those conversations would shut down and people would not want to engage with me. I would say eight to nine out of 10 people, when they found out that I worked at a church, they would immediately pull away and go, okay, thanks, nice to talk to you too. And I found that if I didn't want to talk to somebody on a plane, that was a great thing to say to people because you could just get out of the conversation real quick. But over the course of time, I realized I was never going to make headway or get to know anybody I didn't know if I kept just saying that. So in 2011, I started my own company as a business owner so I could tell people I was an entrepreneur so they would engage with me. Actually, that's not why I started the company that I did, but still I thought that would get a few more laughs, but it didn't. We'll move on, okay? Anyway, but I, so I, I realized that as I said that over the course of time with people that they pulled away from me and did not want to have a conversation. So I started to ask myself, why is that? Why is that? And why is there such an image about the church that's out there that people don't even want to engage with someone who works at one in a few-minute conversation on an airplane? Well, it's because they have an opinion of the church. They have, opinion about peop- they have an opinion about people who go to church. And generally, those traits and characteristics that they have in their minds aren't very good opinions. So I want you to kind of just put that in your mind, my conversations on airplanes as we move through 
this message today because I'm going to go back to it and I'm going to reference it again and it's pretty powerful what I feel like we've kind of unpacked and discovered through my experiences on airplanes and what we're going to talk about today. Because we are in the middle of a four-week series called Storytelling. And storytelling is this idea that we are looking at these stories that Jesus told and how they can impact our lives if we let them. Because what you may not know, especially if you're an adult and you think that stories are kind of just for kids, is this idea that stories are so powerful. Stories have the impact to profoundly change the direction in our life and give us a different perspective from what people have have gone through because without stories, the only experiences that we have in our life is our own experiences. The only experiences that we have to go off of, the only circumstances that we have to go off of are our own experiences. So stories offer us a different perspective. Even as adults, stories can kind of write the path of our life and they can help us see things differently. Because here's one thing I believe. I believe that God, the all-powerful creator of the universe, who we don't have everything figured out about him, and if you've been around downtown Harbor Church for any length of time, you know that we're pretty open about that, that there are a lot of things about God that we do know, but there are a ton of things about God that we do not know that are kind of mysteries, but we believe something very simple about God, that if God created the universe and created us, we believe this. We believe that God created your imagination, that each one of us has an imagination. Each one of us has the ability to see beyond ourselves and to think differently and to dream and to see different people's lives in different ways and to imagine worlds that are bigger than our own world. That's what we call imagination. And people who use their imagination, that thing that is so distant and so out there to look at things differently, people who use their imaginations understand a couple of different things that people who don't engage with their imaginations don't. In fact, people who use their imagination and see stories in a different way and think of worlds different than themselves, they see more. They get to see things that are out there differently that they may not have seen had they only looked at their own world and their own life. Here's another one. They care more. Why? Because they've seen what people have gone through. They've seen how people who might even be different than them have experienced life in a different way, and they care more. And lastly, which is maybe the most important, they hope more. They have a sense that the future isn't dark, but the future is bright because they've seen people go through that. They've seen people engage with things and experiences and circumstances that are different than their own. And they may have even seen people who are coming through circumstances actually come through them. So what do they do? They hope more. Stories are powerful. Stories can transform our lives. Stories move us to imagine a world beyond ourselves. That's why we need stories. That's why each one of us in our lives needs stories. That's why they're so important. We need stories from Scripture, from the ancient Scripture. We need stories that are fiction. We need stories that are history. We need stories from our grandparents. We all can engage with those things. And when we understand that those stories shape perspective in our lives, how we view the world things in our own life can be different. This is why I believe that Jesus taught in story. This is why I believe that even though Jesus did take some black and white stances over the course of time, Jesus mainly taught kind of in the gray and he told stories because he wanted our perspectives to be shaped about a specific 
topic, and that's why we have been talking about these things called parables. And parables, just so everyone understands what they are, parables are fictional stories. Don't miss that, because a lot of people confuse what parables are. Parables are fictional stories that Jesus used to prove points. Fictional stories that Jesus used to shape people's perspective. They used their imagination to uh, imagine a world bigger than themselves when they heard it. It shaped their perspective so they can be bigger than their own personal life. This is what parables are. And today, we are going to look at what I consider to be the most powerful parable of all time. It is my favorite. It is revolutionary. It can change your life and our community should we listen to it and put it into practice in our lives. I've just set that whole thing up from the airplane conversations to stories to Jesus and why he taught this way. And now we're going to dive in to the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you've never heard those words before, it's okay. You'll understand what they mean by the end of our time going through this parable. But this stuff is real. This stuff is powerful. And I got to tell you, at the end of our first service today, which is our volunteer service, we were just downstairs in the lobby talking, and people were just like, that parable blew my mind, and I've never thought about it that way before. So zone in, because it's really, really important. If you have your scripture, you can turn to the book of Luke chapter 10 um, or on your mobile device. Go ahead and check that out. If you don't have that, that's totally okay. It's going to be on our screens all over the room. Uh, we've kind of you know, made some technological advances here at DHC. The screens are up there. Isn't that just exciting? Can we get a round of applause for that real quick? That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you so much. I feel like Drew Carey. Okay. So Luke chapter 10, verse 25. This is what it says. One day. An expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus. Let's stop right there. If you want to know more about what that means and why the religious law of the time was testing Jesus, it's because when Jesus came, there was an old way. And Jesus, who was the only human incarnation of God that we believe ever walked the earth, he came to chart a new way. And if you don't want, we don't have time to unpack all of that today, but if you want to know more about that, you can go onto our website. And you can go find the series Redefine under the media tab. And we talk about that for three weeks. And it's super, super interesting. But one day, an expert in the religious law, the old law, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. The question is the biggest question that humankind could really ever ask. It's so important what he asked. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to live forever? What must I do to inherit this? Help me, I don't know. What do you say? Now remember, these old experts in the religious law were attempting to catch Jesus. They were attempting to trick him so that he would say something that he shouldn't have said and therefore they could kind of pounce on him. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Now, what Jesus did there was so interesting because Jesus, he actually kind of went back and related himself to that old law. The law of Moses was something that this religious scholar could relate to. What does the law of Moses say? Jesus asked, how do you relate to it? And here is what the man said. The man answered, you must, and you've heard me say this around downtown Harbor before, if you've been here, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, 
mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So what the guy repeated, you must love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, right, boom, you got it, my man. Do this and you will live. Now, Matt, I just, because I'm talking about imagination. I like to let my imagination kind of run wild. Imagine this scene. I like to think about what it would have been like. And I imagine kind of a group of people and this one guy asking Jesus a question. And then as Jesus answered him, he puts his arm on his, or puts his hand on his shoulder. He said, right, now go and do this. And he was kind of done because the guy answered his own question. He's got it. I imagine Jesus, this is just my imagination in my opinion, but I kind of imagine Jesus just putting his hand on his shoulder and starting to walk away. And the guy goes, ah, but... Before you walk away, Jesus, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You tell me that I'm going to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself? Mm. Who's my neighbor? Who should I be loving? What should I be doing? And Jesus, in typical Jesus fashion, replied with what? He replied with a story which is why we're talking about them this month. He replied with a powerful, powerful story. So let's dive into what he told this man about the Good Samaritan. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man, now, keep in mind, the people that would have been addressing him were Jewish. The people that would have been trying to challenge him were Jewish. So Jesus told a story about a Jewish man, and I think he did that so they could relate to it more personally. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, a road, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes beat him, and left him half dead beside the road. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey boys, one of your own, a fellow Jewish guy, was walking down this road, he got robbed, mugged, and attacked, and now he's on the side of the road, left for dead. And then a couple of people walk by. By chance, a priest came along. Now, a priest was like the highest like, you know, distinction that someone could get with the religious law. They were the keepers in the temple. They knew the scripture and the law back and forward. If anyone should have stopped to help this man who had been beat up, it was this priest. This is a guy who should have gotten it. It was like the leader of a church in our era. This guy should have gotten it, but look at what he did. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now, a temple assistant, in some translations, this is called a Levite, someone who helped in the temple, someone who should have been a religious individual, someone who was out to love God by loving your neighbor as yourself, someone who should have gotten it. Temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. These two religious guys who were supposed to get it walked right on by. They didn't stop. They didn't give a rip. They didn't care. And I believe that Jesus told this story to the religious establishment of the time 
not because he just knew that that's what they were doing in that era, but he told it because he knew that eventually the modern-day church would end up doing the exact same thing. Caring about themselves and their holy huddle more than someone who is in need. Caring about going to their church events and studies rather than giving themselves to love their neighbor as themselves. Walking to the other side of the road so they didn't have to get their hands dirty. Walking to the other side of the road so they didn't have to help because why should they get in the trenches? Why should they get in the mud? They are the ones who are super spiritual and self-righteous and all up on themselves because they know so much. Why should they go and help one of their own, one of their own, because the people who walked on by were Jewish, and the guy who got beat up was a Jewish man. Furthermore, it doesn't say this, but I have to imagine one of the reasons they didn't stop was because they were judgmental toward what had happened to that guy, meaning they probably imagined that he put himself in a situation that he shouldn't have, or maybe he was messing around with the wrong crowd. So why should we go and help someone like that? Nah, we're too busy. We're too important. We have to go study our law. We have to go meet with other people just like us. We can't handle it. We're too self-righteous. We're walking on by. After I started to read and study this parable, and I started to teach it to people, I thought, this is exactly what the modern-day church is like. This is exactly everything I've encountered ever since I've worked in churches. The self-righteous people care about themselves and don't want to give of themselves. And I started to say to myself, stop asking yourself why people don't want to talk to you on planes anymore. You have your answer. Because whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, or even true of all of us, because some of our hearts aren't like this, but at large, this is culture's opinion of the church. This is why when people say, when I say to people, this is what I do for a living, they go, I don't really care to engage with you in that conversation. These people are tied up in their religion much like so many people who claim to be Christians today are tied up in their religion. And I want to tell you something that I hope transforms every fiber of your being because it transformed every fiber of my being. And here it was, just being religious doesn't equate to love. Just being religious doesn't mean you're good at loving other people. And don't get me wrong, coming to church like you're doing here into this building with us, reading ancient scripture, praying to God. Those things are good things and you should do those things. But if those things cause you to walk on by somebody in need, whatever that represents in your life, then you are missing the main point and that is figuring out how to love. I didn't say that. Jesus did. I'm just quoting him. And that should transform every one of our lives into something different. Because you know something? Being religious is easy. Checking the box is easy. Showing up every week is easy. Even when it's cold enough to freeze your Winnebago, right? I don't even know what a Winnebago is, but it was in like a former like movie with the Muppets, so I just brought it forward, okay? It's good. Right? It's not just about that. Those are easy things. Loving someone is hard. 
You know this if you're married. You know this if someone in your family has crossed you. You know this when someone in your office gets something that you deserve. The parable goes on, and it says this. After those two guys walked by who were the religious leaders of the time, then a despised, a hated, a wretched person called a Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. I want to talk to you about Samaritans and Jews because Jews were a group of people and Samaritans were another. And somewhere along the way, and if you get a chance this week, because I don't have time to unpack all of this information this morning, if you get a chance, Google that and look it up, the rivalry between these two groups of people. It's powerful to study the history of it. But for whatever reason, these two groups of people hated each other. It's a long-standing rivalry. It's the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? These two groups of people did not like each other at all. And it had to do with the history related to God and which mountains that you should worship at. And the Jews actually refused referred to the Samaritans over time as traitors. Traitors, people who had done them wrong, people who had turned their backs. The Jews referred to the Samaritans as traitors, and the scripture says, Jesus says in this fictional story that the Samaritan stopped to help the Jewish guy who was his enemy. They hated each other. It's like Florida and Florida State, right? Which I have no idea about because by the looks of me, you know that I'm not a sports guy, right? I was trying to like, you know, relate to the people, you know, kind of a thing, right? I'm just, here's the deal. These two people hated each other and the Samaritans stopped, but it goes on. Here's what it says. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey. That's a huge deal historically. And took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Do you know what the Samaritan showed to the Jewish guy? Unconditional love. Unconditional love. Even though there was a history, even though things had been ugly between their cultures, he showed him unconditional love. Love with no strings attached because there was a person in Need. And when we hear the phrase, you should love your neighbor as yourself, a lot of us kind of say, yeah, I should love my neighbor as myself, but my neighbor is either the person who lives next door or somebody you know, in our own community or maybe a family member. But your neighbors are everyone, even your enemies. And if you want to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to love all of your neighbors. It's not just about people who you choose to love. Sometimes it's people who've wronged you, people who have gotten things that you deserved. And that is hard. That's not black and white. That's gray. You pick that apart and you're like, how can my mind and my heart reconcile these things? But it's so, so important because Jesus told us to do it. 
in this powerful, powerful fictional parable. But the parable doesn't end there. It goes on because it goes back to the crowd of people who originally asked Jesus that question. And here's what it said. Jesus said to them, now, which of these three boys would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. In this story, you are the Samaritan. There's a lot of times when we kind of pick apart parables and stories and there's multiple meanings to it and we can kind of unpack it this way and look at it in a different way. In this story, it's very clear because Jesus tells us who we are. We are the Samaritan and we are to look for unusual ways to help others, even those who are different. I have to tell you something. My history with churches, with Christians, a lot of them, including myself for so very long, didn't know anybody who wasn't just like them and didn't go to the same church that they did. Or maybe they weren't even from the same culture. But Jesus was pretty clear. We're to look for unusual ways to help others, even those who are different. I'm going to take this a step further. Look for unusual ways to help others, especially those who are different. Especially those who are different. And because most of us in our history are like the priest and the temple assistant, where we're consumed with ourselves, we walk right on by, we kind of live in our holy little circles, or we've known people who've lived in their holy little circles, people outside of the church have started to distance themselves from the church. And it's been a slow fade, but it's happened to the point where 87% of people in our own city don't attend any lo local church on a weekend, to the point where when I interacted with people as I travel, eight out of 10 or maybe nine out of 10 people wouldn't want to engage with me in a conversation because we're all priests or temple workers who walk right on by and we've consumed our lives with our own self. And you know what? I started to think about it. I didn't blame them. Because those two guys who were talked about, who walked right on by and didn't help anybody but themselves, I don't know that I would want to talk to them either. And about four or five years ago, it was one of the first times that I stood up here in front of a group of people, not on this stage, but on a stage, and was able to just talk about this specific parable. And I said to myself, it's true. That's why Jesus said it. It's true. We have done this. We've walked right on by, and it's breaking my heart. It's tearing me inside from out. In fact, I don't want to be a part of this anymore if this is how it is. So at that point in time, I had two choices. And they were pretty clear choices in my mind. One, I could walk away from the church. Because it wasn't perfect in how Jesus said it should be. I could walk away. And I will be as honest as I can in this room. You guys have no idea how close I was to doing just that just taking the white towel and throwing it in and going to lead my own life with my wife. We could have a great future. That was my first choice. The second choice was I could do everything I can to change what I didn't like and what I didn't think lined up with Jesus and what he said. There was a point in time where I said, yes, 
I'll do that. I'll commit every hour, every minute, every day that I have to helping to right this wrong, to helping to get things back to the way that they were supposed to be, where people don't just walk on by, but they say, no, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to, you know, give myself, uh, you know, to something that's just a holy huddle, but I'm going to love people who are different than me. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And that's why we started Downtown Harbor Church. So we could do things different for the first time ever at least in my life. This was a big part of my inspiration for it. So I'll leave you guys with this today. What do you do from this point on? If you go out tomorrow or this afternoon, what do you do? Look for unusual ways to help others, especially those who are different. Those who might have a lifestyle that you don't necessarily agree with, those who come from a different culture or race than you, those who have wronged you, those who you would even consider to be your enemy. Help them. Do something with them. Get to know them. Not because some random guy at the museum said so, because Jesus told us to do that, especially those who are different. And when we figure out how to do this, and show unconditional love, unconditional love, love with no strings attached, unconditional love to other people, everything in our lives will change and our city will be different. And it could just start here in Fort Lauderdale. And this is a movement that could begin to change the world. And I said yes. I want you to say yes with me. Be a part of what we're doing here in downtown Harbor Church to love our neighbors as ourselves. Let's pray. God, whew, um, thanks so much just for this story. When we hear the word story, we tend to think of kids and what we might read to them, but no, these stories are revolutionary and they transform the world around us if we let them. They help us with perspective and they set us on a different path. There are people around us every single day who aren't like us. And a lot of the time, we don't engage with them because of it. We don't help them because of it. We end up in our little box. God, help each person in this room in downtown Harbor Church to lead the way to change the tide so that people could see who you really are for the first time. Jesus, we're just so in love with this story and this word. Thank you for giving it to us so many, so many years ago. Let it transform our lives and our hearts here today in Jesus' name, amen.